Hey cats and kittens out there in Sea Here Land, this episode of Sea Here is real boss hoss, I say. Real boss hoss. <laughs> Episode 58 of the See Here podcast. My name is Morris. I'm here in Melbourne. And on the other end of a Skype connection, I have in Bath, Mr. Bernard Stickwell. Good morning to you, Morris, and good evening from me. I'm tempted to do a two Ronnies thing there. It's good morning from me, and it's good night from him. So it's good night from me, and it's good night from him. Good night. Uh, There we go. How many people are going to get that reference? All the people in the Commonwealth, I think. Yeah. None none of the Yanks. So, unfortunately, our comrade in arms, Mr. Tim Merrill, who's on home soil in Brantford, Canada, is not with us today because, unfortunately, he had to attend a back-to-back screening of the two Mamma Mia films. So, he'll be reporting on that next month. So, thanks, Tim. I look forward to hearing what you say about Merrill Streep and Pierce Brosnan singing ABBA songs. But Bernie and I carried on the good fight. We just recorded an interview with the director of a new documentary about 60s band The Sonics. Now, if you don't know who The Sonics are, then be prepared to be edumacated. Fantastic band from Tacoma, Washington. And Jordan Albertson has gone and made this documentary about them, but it doesn't follow the traditional rules of documentary filmmaking. It's a fascinating film, and Jordan was very, very gracious with his time in telling us about his love of the band, all the trials and tribulations that he had in making this documentary, and he was a really fascinating cat. Absolutely, yeah. Really sweet guy, and uh, like you say, very forthcoming pleasure to talk to so uh, what we'll do now is we'll play the trailer from the film we'll go to a break and then we'll play the interview and what we'll do is after the interview we'll come back and talk to you about what we have planned for episode 59 that'll be december's episode of see here podcast so we'll go to the interview and we'll be back at the end you're listening to see here episode 58 when the five of us got together something magical happened Music that just kicked your ass. Nobody plays three chords better than the Sonics. They sound fucking dangerous. They're rooted in kind of 50s R&B rock and roll, but like as played by a freight train. I'm going to go find a group that's going to blow you away. Gosh, he, he played so, so loud and, and, you know, so aggressively, I think we all started doing that. So I don't remember any other drummers playing as loud as I did. Well, this would be a good place to jump on a good screen here, you know. We wanted to play Little Richard. We wanted to play Louie Louie. We wanted to play anything that rocked. Next thing you know, we had people tasted to the wall. Whoa, this, I never heard anything like this before. Oh, baby. Oh, you're me crazy. I'm going out of my head. 
Ramones are supposed to be the, you know, the first punk, you know, band. No, no, we got you beat, you know. <laughs> and the Sex Pistols, nah, we got you beat. Episode 58 of See Here Podcast. This time round, Bernie and I are very, very excited because on the other end of a phone call, we have the director of a new documentary, Boom, a film about the Sonics. We have Jordan Albertson on the line. Good. It's, it's afternoon for you, isn't it, Jordan? Yeah, yeah, it is. Congratulations on the release of the film. Now, normally I'd be asking you how you first got into the Sonics, but there's a lovely prologue and epilogue in that frames the film explaining how you connected to their music through your father. Look, actually, you know what? Could you please explain to the audience? Because it's such a lovely story. Sure, yeah. I was introduced to Sonics by my father uh, when I was, I think, somewhere between 11 and 13, right around there. And we weren't very close when I was growing up. My dad was a big sports guy, and I didn't really know that he had much of a taste in music because it just wasn't something we ever talked about or shared. And when I got into punk rock music and especially being a teenager in the Northwest, you know, with Soundgarden and, and, and Mudhoney and, you know, Pearl Jam and obviously Nirvana and Alice in Chains. My dad walked by my bedroom and he, he heard me listening to, I think it was Smells Like Teen Spirit by obviously Nirvana. And he just said, he said, uh, you know, if you like this, you should check out the Sonics. And I think my initial response was, was just sort of like, yeah, yeah, whatever, Dad, you know. Um, and I, you know, and I, and I had never heard of the band before, and I actually thought he was talking about the basketball team, and I was just sort of confused, like, why, why, what is he talking about? And he found, he hunted down an, a copy of Boom, and he left it for me. And I put it in, and was just instantly in love with this band. I was just kind of blown away, you know. When you when you get into punk rock music, one of the things, at least for me, uh, you, you know, you're kind of always digging for the connective tissue of where it started. And you know, I had kind of ended my search with the Stooges, and when I when I heard Boom, it was like, wow, this is this is before the Stooges. Like this is this is something that really came before any of that other stuff and you know my dad introduced me to this back I just was that was such a bizarre thing and so that was really the moment that the two of us really connected and started talking about music and, and movies and um, that really was you know in a lot of ways kind of the beginning of how we got close and we still are to this day so what else have you shared with your father musically to be honest a, a ton you know my dad is a really interesting person because he he got married uh, pretty young and just stopped listening to music right around like 1969, 1970. And so I actually have introduced my dad to Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. And like <laughs> the things that normally you'd think that he would have introduced me to, I have kind of shared with him. And so we, we've gone to a ton of concerts together. I actually took him to see Black Sabbath with Ozzy and it just like blew his mind. You know, we've We've, we've just been to like a million concerts together and it's just this thing that we do. We, we're always going to see shows. You know, we went in, in the film, you see us at a Metallica show, <laughs> which mm, was that's right. pretty amazing. You know, take my dad to go see Metallica. Like, how great is that? 
so uh, I guess Jordan, your dad's, uh, he must be very proud of, of the, the film. Boom. What you've done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, it was a surprise. I didn't, I, he didn't know that he was in the film until I showed him the film. Um, oh. you know, cause that, cause that was something that I was really, uh, nervous about. And, you know, I just becoming, uh, when the film kind of became meta, it was pretty late in the process. And, you know, I, I was trying to find some sort of a musician or a rock star who could be like the narrator, you know, and I, I sort of gave up <laughs> on that search and became kind of the voice of the film and and kind of how far to take that was something i was pretty nervous about it was a tough choice you know and when i did decide to do that and i i kind of took it all the way and i started digging through family photos and trying to find all that stuff my dad was kind of asking me like what what are you what are you looking for this shit for you know what do you want pictures of back in the day and i oh, just put something together and it's just I, I was really weird kind of quiet about it and he came out to my my i live out in montana and he came out to kind of hang out with me uh back in july and i i sat him down and showed him the film and it was uh it was definitely a pretty big surprise for him but yeah i think he was I think he was pretty moved by it. I think it's um, it's handled very well. It brings it's not overly sentimental or cloying. It really brings a kind of warmth to the film. I think so. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. good to hear. I'm still I'm still <laughs> like we, still it still makes my armpit sweat. Yeah, it's, you know, you, you, when you do something like this, it's like you know you you spend all this time creating the thing, and then you just sort of put it out there into the world, and you never really know what's going to work and what's going to land, and so. So yeah, I'm happy to hear this. I'm happy to hear you guys like this. How did you go from being just like a devoted fan of the band to deciding you wanted to devote a whole feature-length documentary to them? And how many years of planning and funding and searching for people and dead ends were there in putting that together? Well, it started almost exactly 10 years ago when the Sonics first reunited and played the uh, their first like hometown Seattle show. It was on Halloween night, uh, 2008. And it was the, the first concert my dad and I went to together. And I flew up from California where I was living and we went to the show and it was it was just so crazy. Uh, you know, like all the band reunions that you could think of, like the Sonics weren't even one that I had talked about because it was like the Sonics weren't even real to me. You know, it, it wasn't like, you know, you'd see interviews with Axl Rose and Slash and just know one of these days it'll happen. Like, like the, you know, the Sonics were, I think in the film, I, I call them kind of like the uh, the unicorn of the punk, punk rock scene. <laughs> Right. And that's kind of how they were for me, you know. They it was like they they weren't even real. And so when they did, when they played that that first show that I went to, aside from it being this really cool experience with my dad to kind of share that with him, you know, something that meant so much to him back in his days, and to, to kind of be able to, to do that with him, but also just to see this incredible thing happening in front of me, and it it really was that night. Band, you know, kind of took their bow after playing the Witch, you know, their final song. I, I think I was just like standing up. In the balcony watching it and I, I think I even said it out loud I was like I'm gonna make a fucking movie about these guys right and and I think it was that night I went home and I went on I went online and just kind of 
scoured the internet trying to find just an email address for someone. And I found it's buried in their website. I found an email address that I think was like management at sonics.com or something like that. And I wrote this insanely long, impassioned email sort of telling whoever the other person on the other end of this email, you know, um, that I need to, that I was the guy that needs to make the film. Here's the vision. And I laid out this entire movie that I wanted to make. And, you know, I sent links to some of the other work that I've done. And I mean, it was a very, very long email. And Buck Ormsby ended up writing me back. Right. And, and when I got that from Buck, I, I knew I instantly recognized his name from the Whalers. I'm a huge Whalers fan. And I was just sort of confused. Like, why is Buck Ormsby writing? <laughs> He's the man. Like, I was very confused. And so he, he invited me to go get coffee with him. And we got coffee and we basically shook hands and said, all right, let's do it. Let's make this movie. And um, that was the, the start. And that was 10 years ago. We should probably state for the listeners that Buck Ormsby was, as you said, a, a member of the band The Whalers, the, the Magnificent Whalers, tall, cool one. Sonics be stated in the film absolutely idolized and when his time with them finished uh, he put his weight as producer behind uh, the music of the Sonics as producer. Once Buck was agreeable about the notion of a film being made, was it pretty easy to convince all the uh, other members of the group to uh, take part? Oh no, 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 no. Um, (laughs) Basically, I didn't even meet them until maybe six years after that. You know, I think Wow. Because originally the idea was, you know, okay, because at the the time I lived in California and I had a a pretty decent agent management company behind me. And we sort of assumed, or maybe I assumed wrongly, that, you know, I could just go to Hollywood and we could get a million dollars or however this was supposed to work. (laughs) And, and, you know, because Buck was really protective of the band and he didn't want to tell them like, hey, we're going to make this movie and then have it not happen. So it was kind of like, okay, we're going to work together. We're going to set this up and, you know, figure out how to put a big team together and, 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 you know, do this the way these things normally happen. And it just didn't happen. I spent at least five, six years just trying to put financing together and it just, it just did not come together. And I eventually just started, I just kind of said, fuck it, I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyway. And uh, my cinematographer, Chris Kozer, uh, who really, if it weren't, if it wasn't for him, there's just no way any of this would have been possible because he, you know, he would be working on a commercial or something and I would convince him to, you know, steal whatever equipment he had that day. And then we'd go <laughs> knock out some, some B-roll or, or an interview or, or whatever. And, and he was pretty much always game and really believed in the film. And he was really in the in the trenches with me on this film and, you know, continued to be. And, it, it, and that's just kind of how it ended up being made. The first interview I shot was with Buck. And what happened was he... I could tell something was going on with his health. I didn't know what it was. I could tell he wasn't being totally forthcoming, but just the conversations that I'd had, I could, I could just tell there was something something that was kind of starting to beat him down. So I, I said, hey, you know, Buck, I'm going to come up. We're going we're gonna to sit down. We're going to get your interview. And I could tell that he wanted it too. I could tell he was like, let's fucking get this in the can. 
And I shot his interview, I want to say probably five or six years ago. And once I had that, I, well, and that's the other thing. I didn't know, I didn't know his story. I didn't know this crazy thing that he had done in the eighties where he sort of, you know, Johnny Appleseeded Sonic's records all around Europe. Um, it was this amazing story. And so all these things kind of came out of that interview where the film opened up because originally I was just going to tell the story of the band back in the day. I wasn't really going to do anything else. I was kind of, I thought there'd be enough there. But all of a sudden, I started to see this much larger picture. And, and, you know, and so the film would just kind of change and evolve over the years of kind of what the vision of the movie was. And, you know, the lack of funds also sort of forced me to make the film a lot more personal. Ten years in making this movie, it, it's been such a huge thing to get it done. And it's, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd walk away from it. I'd given up on it. There were times where I just, I didn't know, I didn't think it was possible. I wasn't even really an editor. 10 years ago and I've sort of had to become an editor once I realized there wasn't going to be any financing to pay somebody to do it and all these just all these other hats I ended up having to wear just because of the nature of, of you know how it kind of evolved it, it's been been a hell of a struggle man you said that the uh, the band members initially weren't that keen in uh, in taking part so uh, how did you uh, sort of eventually turn them around well I, it's not that they weren't totally keen you know the thing you got to realize about all of those guys is when they when they were the Sonics as like teenagers, it was it was like five years, you know, it was this this small yeah. little blip on their radar. And I and I think that I don't think any of them really looked back, you know, and so that when all of a sudden they started to realize that this thing that they had done when they were kids had sort of caught on again, I think it really caught them by surprise. You know, it was really unexpected. None of them really realized that anybody cared about what they had done. Definitely not on the scope and level that, you know, was actually going on. And so, you know, me trying to make a movie about them, I was I was sort of constantly just, it's almost like they were, you know, like, why the fuck are you making this movie about it? Like, what, isn't there... <laughs> you know isn't there anything else you can be doing with your time like why do you care i think was really more of what what i was being hit with i think it was just sort of confusing and i think eventually i, I just i didn't i just didn't go anywhere you know i just wouldn't give up i, I think that eventually they were like i think we're gonna have to do something to get this <laughs> fucking guy to stop emailing us <laughs> you know you know and once i did it, it i mean I, I love those guys you know and, and they were great but they definitely were totally suspicious and i don't think fully understood what i was trying to do up until two weeks ago when they when they actually got the chance to finally see the film which was a really really incredible night they all came to the tacoma film festival and it was it was a really really neat thing to finally show them the film that was it all the members of the band because there were a couple who said uh, your uh, the the bass player and the drummer said like we're through with, with with performing with the band and you had to get and they got replacements and so was it everyone for like from the original lineup who uh, rolled up to Tacoma yeah so at Tacoma I had everyone but but Rob so Bob Bennett the original drummer Andy and Larry Paripa uh, and then Jerry Rosley they they all were there it was pretty neat
I had to laugh at the beginning of the film where you start the band's story by saying, let's go back to 1960 to tell the story of these five badass motherfuckers while focusing on the front cover of the album, Here Are The Sonics, their album from 1965. They sort of looked like five nice boys you'd be happy to meet your family. And when you interview the band, <laughs> particularly Jerry Rosalie, they all seem to be like really sweet guys. Was music their alter ego or were they five badass motherfuckers in their day? The film doesn't portray them as troubled young men. Well, you know, I think that that was kind of almost like a joke. Because when, <laughs> when I met, when I finally met all of them, they really are these just really sweet, you know, incredibly humble people and yeah but you know you, you hear these stories of them from back in the day i mean in the film there's the story that the shangri-la story which is a pretty famous thing that they got themselves into but you know that was one of the things that really did get cut out of the film it's just a lot of those like anecdotal stories you know because yes. when you're making a documentary you need to have some sort of visual component to go along with whatever's being told and you know the, the lack of funds really sort of squeezed me in that area so a lot of that stuff had to be cut but i will tell you that they were definitely some some badass motherfuckers oh really <laughs> they oh yeah that uh fights that happened and just you know crazy shit on stage you know, one of the things that I think I, I really wasn't able to, to show in the film is, is really how young they were. You know, it's, it's 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 almost hard to imagine. But I mean, these guys were like, you know, 17, 18 kids. You know what I mean? Like, and they were they were doing this just in, in totally incredible thing. None of them realized it was important or forward thinking or even any good. You know, they just kind of thought they sucked. And I think for them, all of them, it was just kind of like, this will be a fun way to be able to meet girls for a couple of years and then we'll fucking move on and become normal people. And in that time, you know, they, they didn't tour the U.S. or anything like that, but definitely in the Northwest, the Sonics were the baddest motherfuckers around. Hmm period those guys were and that's how my dad explained them to me you know because he would go see them when he was a kid you know they were the band you know he loved the whalers but he was like the fucking sonics you know they punch you in the face like it's <laughs> you just you couldn't believe how insanely aggressive they were on stage you know they 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 really did kind of embody that uh that kind of punk rock attitude before i think anyone knew what to call it you know i think everyone just thought they were assholes <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but I guess to answer your question, yeah, they they were, you know, they, I mean, they were young and it was definitely innocent, but they were they were they were badass, man. They were fucking hardcore. <laughs> it would have been interesting if you'd had the budget. Bernie and I were speaking last month with the producer of of a film called Two Trains Running about the civil rights movement and and, and the search for a couple of lost blues musicians and what they did in that film. Really well done, but it seems to be a common thing in documentary. They get animators to fill in the stories that are being narrated. Is that a road you would have gone down if um, <laughs> if the budget had allowed for it? Well, it's, it's definitely something I considered. But originally, like the whole idea was the reason I wanted such a, a, big, a big budget was because I know that I knew going into this that there there wasn't any footage of the Sonics from back in the day. I knew that that didn't exist. Mm. So what what my original idea was is to 
just do a, a really big cinematic historical kind of recreation of, of what they were saying, uh, which has now become kind of common in a lot of these bigger budget documentaries. But that was kind of my idea is to, is to in, I mean, really, really go big and cinematic with it and recreate some of these dances and the fights and the fucking just all the crazy shit they got into. And as that it became clear that that wasn't going to happen and the film kind of took on this really different personality, you know, and especially once the buck thing came, that story came about. And when I was interviewing Nancy and McCready and all those guys and this whole other thing that happened in the seventies and Northwest and, you know, the film kind of became what it is, but that was the original idea, not to, to use animation, but to actually go film. Some stuff. And I wanted to shoot on film too. I wanted to actually go get like super 16 and just and really go big with uh, oh, wow. some, some recreations there. One of the things that's kind of interesting is, you know, I actually come from a narrative background. I'm not a traditional documentary filmmaker. Um, this is the first documentary thing I've done. And as I went through the editing process and so many of these stories that I love kind of had to hit the, the cutting room floor. I haven't talked about this much, but I, I've actually started writing a, a film about the Sonic. Um, Holy moly. And so, yeah. So it... It looks like 10 years wasn't enough for me. I probably going to be stuck with these guys for quite a bit longer. Uh, but that's inter it's been interesting. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the traditional biopic. And so what I've actually been writing is something more along the lines of like a stand by me. Just about these, you know, these five really young boys, you know, doing this pretty incredible thing without them really realizing it. <laughs> So. Yeah, it's, it's it's tough to get a biopic right, isn't it? Very There's tough. A, a lot of, yeah, I a mean, lot of look, failed we, attempts, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, right now you've got something out there, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, which I haven't seen and I don't want to talk poorly upon it, but I know when I saw the trailer for, Bo for Bohemian Rhapsody, it rubbed me the wrong way. You know, it felt like reading the Wikipedia page or something. And I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that's definitely not my approach, you know? And I, I think a, a movie about these guys to kind of stay true to what they were and their attitude, uh, the film needs to be a, a lot more down and dirty and, and honest yeah. and real, but also really funny. Like these guys were really, the shit they got into was hilarious. I mean, that Shangri-La's story is, I love it so much, but there are so many things like that <laughs> that these guys got into. Was there anything you had to leave out for sort of potential legal reasons or anything like that <laughs> no nothing like that um okay <laughs> no nothing like that i actually was the one thing i was a little worried about is i i know that not all of the original members were still talking and you know it seemed like there was maybe some bad blood there and you know anytime any of that came up i just wasn't interested i guess you know like when we would be having conversations and if anybody would, you know, talk poorly about somebody, it just was like, you know, I, I'm not, that's, that's really not a film I'm trying to make. I was really just trying to celebrate what they did, yeah. you know, and... And I, I think that in doing that, especially having them finally see the film, seemed to kind of bring them together, you know? I mean, they were all there and they, they really seemed to almost like they finally get it. 
I think whilst I was watching it, one thing that really occurred to me, one thing that um, the film captures really well, um, and, and you know that you did really well, is it, it really celebrates the music that they made and just how exhilarating and exciting it was. You know, and I think you do a fantastic job with that. So, oh, thanks. I really that that was a big thing. You know, because that yeah. music, like, still to this day. If I come home and my wife's, you know, not home and I'm having a few beers and I get into my record collection and if I if I put on those Sonics records, I I look like a 13 year old boy. I'm jumping around the <laughs> yeah. floor and playing air yeah. guitar. And that music just gets me still every time. It, it, there's just it's just it's incredible what they did. Well, I think you go to quite some pains in the film to explain just how exciting it is i mean the beginning of the film we've already discussed where your father said if you like nirvana you really check out the sonics and you also mentioned yeah this is pre-eggy pop and pre-mc5 and the music sounds dangerous which like you know just at that time in the 60s where you know the the big media organizations or the big radio stations said right well let's just keep this on the back burner we'll be playing more pat boone for you and let's not make rock and roll quite so dangerous and the sonics came along and said no 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 fuck that and then radio stations decided well we're not going to do much in playing your music so i guess it's that danger can still continue to appeal across generations new generations of music fans and that's why here you are after so many years still playing that music and still playing the air guitar around the lounge room because you find it exhilarating and and dangerous yeah exactly i guess one of the things that really connected with me especially in making the film and getting to talk to these guys is you know how unplanned that was you know i feel like a lot of you know modern bands that do start to venture into that territory you know it's already kind of been done when the sonics did it it wasn't like a choice it wasn't this we're going to be nasty or we're going to create music that the radio is going to think is devil music or whatever like it just happened you know and that's there's something so organic and natural about and honest about that music that they created because it was just it wasn't by design that's one of the things that i i really love the reason they sound that way is because they, they were in a room and bob bennett plays drums so loud andy couldn't hear his bass guitar so he turned his up louder and then larry said well i'm gonna fucking turn my shit up louder too and then jerry couldn't hear himself sing so he just started screaming and then you know what i mean i mean it, it was just this, like that natural. Was it. yeah another sort of tragedy that the sonics never sort of got to the fame potential that they deserved is, you know, whenever someone is sort of like talking about the great screamers in rock and roll, they'll always be the metal guys, you know, you're Ian Gillens and Robert Plants and the like. But really, to me, I think Jerry Rosley is probably, if not the greatest screamer, one of the greatest screamers <laughs> in rock and roll music. Oh, period. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like, I, I can't even believe they let him do that on those records at that time. That's the thing is context, it's isn't it? You just, yeah, it's just mind-blowing to think that they kind of got away with that. Yeah, and they didn't because nobody wanted to play the really, shit. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> they really didn't get away with it, which is kind of great, you know. But, but Buck um, Ormsby, you know, he really was the one that allowed that to happen. You know, he was paying for those recordings and, and let it happen and uh, against his better judgment, you know, and it, and it, it didn't pay off for him at the time you know it took 40 
years. But yeah, I mean, it was that perfect kind of combination and that this, it just, it just happened. All those guys met and for five years they did this amazing thing. And then, and then they all just became normal kind of boring people, <laughs> you know? something that you said earlier though Jordan about yourself you were saying that you know you're traditionally a narrative filmmaker rather than a documentarian and all of a sudden this the structure of your film makes complete sense I remember sort of watching it and thinking you talk about the end of the band and it's only 30 minutes or so into the film and I think well what's going to happen with the rest of the film and then you've got this three-act structure the first part is the story of the band in the 60s the second part is your own journey mm-hmm. to Europe to find out why the hell was this band you know, so popular amongst garage rock fans in Europe today. And then the last part about is the slow burn and the reunion. So, I, And that makes complete sense to me now, that the three-act structure, the narrative filmmaker. So was that something that you decided, well, this is just the way how I know how to make a film, rather than sort of saying, well what's the traditional documentary way? Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I never really approached it from a traditional documentary standpoint and, and not not because I was throwing the rules out, but I, I, to be honest, I just don't even know the rules and I, I and I didn't really care to learn them, you know, especially if I'm going to make a movie about a band that didn't give a shit about rules, you know, it's just, so I just kind of jumped in head first and just started trying to wrangle it, you know, and it really was in the last year that I found that narrative, that structure, you know, because I, I mean, I had multiple different openings of the movie and it just it, it evolves. But me, I, I guess naturally that was just sort of where it progressed for me and probably, yeah, from narrative stuff and it being a screenwriter I don't I don't really know how else to tell a story <laughs> I guess now in the middle part of a film as well as sort of going around Europe and speaking to you know the the guys in the record store who tell you about the rockabilly psychosis album which uh, could I just point out uh, that I bought myself in like 1988 that I still have that in my, my collection <laughs> oh that's great yeah I kept hearing yeah. that from people that really ended up being such an important discovery for I think a lot of people everybody I knew had a copy of that or if they didn't they you know they needed to get a cassette recording of it off somebody you know so that was definitely uh, doing the yeah. rounds yeah until the film I'd not oh, actually wow. heard of that particular album I found the Sonics through the uh, Nuggets box set and sort of you know, I think it was the Sonics and the Monk that were I mean I loved it all but the Sonics and the Monks were the two most out there sounding bands for me on that box set and I'd I'd really love it if someday someone made a documentary about the Monks as well Uh, 
I think there is one, isn't there? Or is there one in the works? Oh, I'm really? sure I heard something about oh, that. There, there should be. I there absolutely so. should be. Oh, yeah. monks are amazing. Oh, we got to we yeah. got to get onto that, Bernie. The other thing that you do in that middle section is you have you know the talking heads, you know, people like you know, Nancy Wilson and Mike McCready and Mark Arm. So, how did you actually find out that these people were fans of the Sonics? I knew Mark Arm. They had done a cover, a Sonic cover album, and you know, I, I'd known that Mike McCready was interested in the band, and just because he had played with them a, a few times, and. So it wasn't finding out who likes the Sonics because there's so many bands who've you know been on record talking about how much of an influence they were. You know the problem was really how to get them in the film. You know because when when Buck Ormsby passed away, he really was my connection to a lot of these people. You know, and when he passed away, all of a sudden it was just me reaching out to, hey Eddie Vedder, will you be in my movie? You know, <laughs> no one no one responds to those emails. You know what I'm saying? And I was so lucky, uh, with, especially with Mike uh, McCready. I, I live out in Montana, out in Bozeman, Montana, and I work at a sushi restaurant. He came in with his family. He literally just walked in. This is about two and a half years ago, maybe two years ago. And I just looked at him and I said, holy shit, Mike McCready. And he goes, yeah. And I think I just, if I remember this correctly, I just started spewing. Oh, my God, I, I'm making a movie about the Sonic. And I've been trying to get a hold of you, and uh, and he was so fucking cool and generous. You know, he gave me his cell phone number. Like, who does that? You know what I mean? Like, some random dude in a fucking sushi restaurant in Montana <laughs> tells you he needs you. To, you know, here's the the guitarist of one of the biggest bands in the world, and he was just like totally open and cool. And he just sat down and he was like, "Oh my God, you're making me like, what else can I do to help?" He goes, "Well, do you want to get Nancy Wilson? Let me text her right now." And it was just Holy he shit, really. Yeah, he, aside from being one of the coolest, nicest rock stars you'll ever meet, he's just a fucking good guy, you know, and he just trusted in, in what I was doing and really opened up his cell phone contact list. And, and I mean, had it not been for that, that, that encounter with Mike, I, I honestly don't even know if I would have ever finished the film because his involvement just validated what I was doing sure, and the yeah. years of work that I had done, you know, because all of a sudden, I you know, oh, well, well, Mike McCready's in the film, and then it's like, oh, well, it must not be that fucking bad if, if Mike's doing it. So it well, it really it really sad. saved the film, and also just you know me personally, it was just like it was like a jolt of energy or something that kind of saved the film. Well, it was fate, obviously. It was meant to be. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't know if I believe in that stuff, but it it <laughs> was something like that happens. You know. It, oh, I'll tell you, I mean, I was in a, I was in a pretty low, like moving, I, I lived in LA and when I moved to Montana, it, it, in a lot of ways, it was kind of a, I give up and mm -hmm. I never expected that working at a sushi restaurant in Bozeman, Montana was going to be the key to unlocking the eight years of struggle for my Sonic <laughs> documentary, but it did, it saved the film. Did you buy a lottery ticket that day? <laughs> No, but I, I have bought a couple since then, <laughs> and, and it hasn't worked out for me at all. God damn. taking the film around uh, um, showing it at various festivals and so on at the moment yes 
Yeah. Yeah, how's, uh, how's it being received? So far, it really has been amazing. The, the world premiere was in London at uh, Raindance, which is a huge festival and one that I never expected sure. to get into, and that was just a huge honor to be invited. I expected the screen to be completely empty because I... <laughs> I know about five people who live in London, and I kind of thought that would be the whole crowd, but it, it sold out, and uh, Sonic fans were there, and it was... I know great. somebody tried to get into that showing, and uh, it was yeah, it sold out pretty much immediately, apparently, so... Yeah, it was crazy. Was I mean, it was yeah. totally insane, and people seemed to really enjoy the film, and then the, the Tacoma uh, Film Festival was, you know, kind of obviously the big, big hometown screening, and that, they had to do uh, four screenings, because the first one sold out, and then they just continued to sell out and they had to keep piling it on. And I mean, it was just really, un to be honest, totally unexpected. You know, when I made this film, it wasn't like I made it to have success or anything. It was it was almost like, I think I compared it to like a stomach cramp. It was just, it was just something I had to, to do. You know, I had to do it. And the fact that we have gotten into as many festivals as we've gotten into is, is pretty shocking. And, and it's been really pretty special. Is it going to see the light of day on DVD or video streaming and the like before too long? Yeah, that's the hope. I, I'm hoping we can take it around festivals for about a year and, you know, you come just see how you do and there are some other musicians that have kind of come out of the woodwork uh, now that the film is finished and it looks like I may end up actually getting a couple more interviews to kind of Oh, wow. You know, spice up. Uh, I was curious as to whether there was more people who you approached or, uh, well, obviously some have approached you since the film's come out. So um, that's really interesting that you should be talking to some more guys about it. I've probably sent a thousand emails at least just trying to get, you know, musicians, rock stars and, you know, but you're writing to their agents and managers and, you know, they never respond to you. And I think now that the, the trailer's out there and people have kind of read about the film. And so, yeah, some people have come out of the woodwork and, yeah, I think we may knock out a couple more interviews and, and spice up the film a little bit. So I think that, yeah, we'll take the film around festivals for about a year. And then after that, hopefully uh, we can find a distributor that's interested and, and we can kind of get it out there and on DVD or on Netflix or whatever streaming service we can find and get it out there into the world. Well, I, I think I sent you the link the other day to the uh, application to get it into the Melbourne International Film Festival. Please make use of it. We'd love to have you over here. Yeah, and here's the thing too about about film festivals. You know, I've submitted to pretty much all of them. You know, and you know, it's really about fans and people who want to see the film. You know, reaching out to the festival and bothering them like book, boom, book, boom, and that that's how you end up getting into these things. You know, unless you have you know Tom Cruise in your film, you're you're on the bottom of their list of priorities. And uh, so yeah, you know, Sonic stands out there definitely. Whatever festival you got in town, let them know. Let them know you want to see Boom. I had written down my next question: What's next for you? But you've already gone and said that you're going to be making your your uh, narrative about the Sonic. Actually, sorry, there was one more thing that I sort of thought was made a, a nice full circle about the film. So you know, you've gone and. Your introduction and the epilogue of the film is, you know, centered around your relationship with your dad and, you know, how you went to see other concerts together. But I think the other sort of thing that brought it full circle was when you showed some of the reunion footage, there's Chris Novoselic, who's guesting with the band. And that coincidence, given that your father had said to you, oh, you like Nirvana, you like the Sonics, that must have freaked you out. 
Yeah, no, I totally. There's actually a clip at the end of that where it's kind of a bit of a montage where there's it's me standing there and Chris Novoselic put his arm around me. I I thought I was going to shit my pants. <laughs> and it, was, it, it was like it was so surreal and bizarre, you know, and at one point because Mudhoney opened the show, uh, that concert, they were the opening act. And I'm a huge Mudhoney fan. And I remember at one point when they were playing Touch Me, I'm Sick, I, I was jumping around the side of the stage and Chris Novoselic Selleck was like jumping around with me and we were like I was like slam dancing on the side of the stage with Chris oh, Novoselic and it was just a fucking totally bizarre experience and I'll, I'll, I'll definitely cherish it forever kids out there have a dream sometimes it comes true there you go So I did have one more question in relation to the concert footage. Was it purely technical or were there legal reasons? Because you do show footage from some of the reunion shows, but we don't get any of the audio. So what was the reason behind that? Well, the, the real reason is I just didn't have audio. And it's really crazy if you watch that, especially the show at the Moor at the end, all of that is one camera. Oh, wow. There's... Like, you know, normally when you would do that, you'd have a multi-camera kind of a thing. And that, that entire show was just me and Chris Kozer, my director of photography, just running around sprinting, grabbing shots. There just doesn't even exist uh, a multi-cam audio professionally recorded version of any of that stuff because it just... I just don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> it just didn't exist. But there is a really great live recording. Uh, they, they put out a, a live record of that version of the reunion, then at Easy Street Records. And if people haven't heard it, definitely pick that record up because it just it, it kills. Yeah. It's so good. I unfortunately didn't get to see them when they toured Australia over this reunion period. They um, And they played a venue just maybe about five kilometres down the road from me. I'm still kicking myself that circumstances didn't allow for it, but I did see some online footage at the time, and I hated myself even more for not being able to get to it because this band many years later who, as you say in the film, had become airline pilots and insurance salesmen and maybe some of them hadn't even picked up their instruments in years, they just, they sounded you know, more energetic, more raucous than bands half their age. Yeah, it was remarkable, man. I mean, those shows, I, I think I saw them probably eight or nine times and just Standing on stage and, and being that close, I just can't believe how good they were. I mean, it was just, it's just fucking amazing. They were so hard. Those shows were, you know, just incredible. The crowds were going nuts. Uh, I remember one show I was at in Cologne, uh, Germany. This dude got butt naked and went streaking through the crowd <laughs> and got his ass kicked by security and loved every minute of it. And I remember he like looked up at like Larry and was just like, yes. And Larry, you know, the guitarist was just like, what in the fuck is going on? Uh, but it was incredible, you know? I mean, it, people lost their minds at those shows. Those are some of my favorite memories, man. I'm, I'll, I'll cherish them forever. I'm really lucky to have been able to see them as many times as I did. Any other band that you think you'd like to tackle or, or you think, nope, I've had enough of this? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to make a film about Chris Cornell. You know, being from the Northwest, he uh, was kind of a god to me. And I was really lucky to have seen 
Soundgarden Audio Slave, and I actually got to see Temple of the Dog also. So, Why? yeah, so he, you know, him and a film about him and Soundgarden, I think, could be really special. I'll definitely never make a documentary like this again. I definitely don't want to be the only person making it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would love mm-hmm. to have some help and some financing. I'm really proud of this, this film, and, and I'm definitely open to uh, other films like well, it well i hope that whatever in our small way that uh, any of our listeners out there have been fascinated with this discussion and our fans of the sonics become aware of it and will search it out at their local film festival and uh, certainly whenever it is that you do get to put this out on home video be it through streaming or dvd hopefully with hundreds of extras that uh, they'll search. I got them. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I was hoping you'd say that. That, uh, <laughs> that well, Yeah, we hope that uh, in our small way we can um, get listeners aware of this film and if they've never heard of the Sonics before then go search out a copy of Boom, the, the album or Here Are The Sonics or uh, their reunion album This Is The Sonics. It's just all incredibly exciting stuff and you've, you've told the story really well and imaginatively and yeah, look, we're, we're both fans of the film. So um, anyway, look, well, thank you so, so much, guys. Thank you so much for your time, Jordan. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's been great. Okay. Thanks, Jordan. It's been, yeah, thank you. Okay, we'll go take a break and we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to episode 58 of See Here Podcast. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that interview as much as we enjoyed doing it. Once again, thank you so much to Jordan for being so gracious with his time and really very, very forthcoming with his uh, information. And it it was a really fantastic conversationalist. I absolutely loved doing that uh, interview with him. And uh, just keep an eye out for the film. See if it comes to a town near you. And if it doesn't, then within a few months or so, It'll uh, be on DVD or video on demand, and it really is definitely a film worth catching. Even if you didn't know anything about the Sonics, watch it and be converted, because if you're passionate about wild rock and roll music, then these guys are an inspiration. Just really something that you really need to latch on to. So we've got to talk about next month. That's December of 2018. And we have one show planned, and we may even get two shows planned. I'm not going to talk about the second one because we're in deep... I think that's wise. Yeah, we're in deep negotiations with a Hollywood director, (laughs) and we're waiting to see whether he gets back to us or not. That may or may not happen. But one thing that we can guarantee is that we have a very Christmas film for you for episode 59. I'll do a little bit of a backstory. Our good friend, Ben Buckingham, here in Melbourne, he has just started up a new film festival. And if you're on the uh, Book of Faces, you may have seen something about this, but Ben has started out a new film festival here in Melbourne called the Paris Cinema Festival. And uh, I'll put a link in the See Here Facebook page to a great interview that he's just done with Paul Harris of Film Buff forecast where he'll explain what 
Paris Cinema is all about and what the Paris Cinema Festival is all about. He and his co-creator Meg Donaldson do a really terrific interview with Paul Harris about that. But one of the films that I think is going to be showing at the festival, or if not, it'll be showing at his regular film night, is a film called White Pop Jesus. I actually thought it was called Disco Jesus, but it's White Pop Jesus. And it's a musical. Jesus comes back from the dead to modern-day Italy and gets into a fight with the mafia. And lots of songs are sung and presumably lots of violence occurs. And it just sounds like the sort of thing that is made for see here. I'm not sure if it's more of a Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema film or a see here film. But anyway, so the idea is we're going to be talking about White Pop Jesus and Paris Cinema Fest with Ben in December of 2018. And we've also roped in Mike White of the projection booth. There's going to be five of us talking about white pop jesus and it's going to be very silly and i imagine possibly the most fun episode that we'll have ever done <laughs> we'll have to be on best behavior as well because mike doesn't stand for people talking over each other does he and uh, no no he doesn't uh, no that's what we're renowned for so <laughs> i'm a ruthless editor bernie so um if we can't record like a projection booth episode I'll edit so it sounds like a projection booth episode that's that's my modus operandi I think uh, most listeners uh, of this show don't appreciate that for most episodes there's probably about six or seven hours that we record (laughs) (laughs) I'll whittle it down to 40 minutes or so or whittles it down to um, yeah Mm, yeah. indeed so uh, well it'll just be business (laughs) as usual for uh, that episode uh, for episode 59 so let's do the housekeeping now Bernie you are the main maintainer of our fabulous new instagram thank you i forgot i I had a brain fart moment (laughs) you you are the maintainer of our fabulous new instagram account how's that going uh it's been a little quiet of late i will admit but um now that uh, we have a fantastic episode to uh to shout about um it it will be a little more active over the 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 coming weeks make sure of that put up some great photos and i will uh, i will we need to get we need to get people onto our instagram account of course if you want to join our really swinging really happening very busy no, hang on. I didn't just say that. If you want to join our Facebook account, uh, then <laughs> our Facebook group, then you can find us at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash C here. That's S-W-E-H-E-A-R. How can people find the Instagram account? Uh, well, you uh, you simply log on to Instagram and you search for See Here Podcast. Uh, you will find us and then you can uh, like us and follow uh, our educational, exciting and fun posts. Now, I don't, because I'm not really an Instagram person, I don't know how that works, but can other people put posts in the Instagram account or, or is it just us? Uh, no, we're the only uh, people who can actually post in our Instagram account, but okay. all the, um, our friends can comment upon those posts, if you see what I mean. Gotcha. So it's, it's sort of like a, a Facebook light in a way, I guess. Okay. All right. Well, we'll try and put up a lot of interesting photos for you to uh, comment on. We might put up some stuff from some of the older films that we've covered, some uh, stuff going ahead now, you, you say we morris but uh it's going to be me doing the lion's share of this so let's let's just you know right. let's not lean too heavily on it hey let's just see what right. happens okay well <laughs> we'll get bernie to do a shit ton of photos in the instagram account so we've gone through thanks th- morris uh, you're, you're welcome you're welcome I, I, ex- I expect lots of hard work from you bernie and i mean you know, we the fans expect well, you, it you can, both of them they, they can expect it but uh, we'll see what happens eh? <laughs> 
So we've got Facebook details, Instagram details. If you want to send us an email, then you can write to seeherepodcast at gmail.com. We're coming up to that time of the year where we uh, will start to be asking our listenership to make requests for 2019. And I say this bearing in mind that we still have a 2018 film to cover, which we'll probably do in March of 2019. But don't let that deter you. We want more requests. We've covered two of the three films that were requested to us, so we do get round to it, and we will get round to that third film. Anyway, so yeah, we'll be asking for requests, so please get involved, make requests, bring up a new or old film that you've seen that's music film related or musical related, anything that you like. We love conversations at our group. Really importantly, please spread the word that the podcast exists, and we'd love tens of thousands of listeners at the moment we're we're making do with thousands but you know tens of thousands would be nice um did i get away with that bernie or i don't know anyway i uh, i say nothing more okay right so until next month please be nice to each other listen to some great music listen to some sonics music search out the film if you can watch some other music related films and just generally be nice to each other and until next month all the best cheers bye It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.